Praise God. Genesis chapter 41 tonight. Pretty sure the title of this sermon is uh, on YouTube. It may even be on Facebook. I hope it is. And I named it this uh, just to get a reaction. I, I, I live for reactions and curiosity. I live for this look. Amen. And so tonight I'm preaching a sermon called Cross-Dressing. Believe God's going to help us. Hallelujah. Very powerful. It's actually a thought that I had uh, received during the time that Pastor Alvin Smith was preaching. And the, the scripture that we're, that we're coming from, which is our main text, was one of his scriptures that he used. And when he said it, it's like it began to trigger thoughts in my mind. And I believe God will help us. One of the things that, uh, that I was challenged during the revival is the need to teach. Uh, the Bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge. And while we have a heart for God and while we want to do things for God, amen, if we are unlearned, then we don't reach our full potential or our full capacity. How many understand what I'm saying? Amen. You can't if you don't know what you're doing, then how can you contribute? Amen. And so as your pastor, it is my job, but it's also my conviction, amen, that I would teach, that I would show. This is, this is what we do. This is why. This is how. Can you say amen? And, and tonight is uh, no different. Now, for you that are dripping with sarcasm, I am not going to teach you how to cross-dress. Amen. I, I do not promote that. It's just that that statement in American culture is very shocking and provocative. And so I decided to use that. Amen. And I know people are watching me online. <laughs> and I did that on purpose. Genesis chapter 41. We're going to look at verse 14 tonight. One portion of scripture. Very simple this evening. And the Bible says, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. They brought him quickly out of the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. Now, a cross-dresser is a man or men who wear female clothing and often both admire and, in, uh, and imitate women. We use another word for cross-dresser, and we call this group of people transvestites. Understand, this is a fetish. This is not a sexual preference or an orientation. It is a fetish. Now, I know it can be, you know... Uh, woven into the fabric of, of sexual, sexuality, but for the most part, uh, it, is, it, is, uh, it is a fetish. There is a thin line, me, me and uh, Pastor Alvin, we, we talked at length about this. There is a thin line between homosexuality, lesbianism, and same-sex attraction. There is a difference. It is a thin line. 
And I'm putting these words out, and while this is not the, the, the center of my message, I wanted to put these words out because as we witness, as we are evangelical people, you will happen across people in this particular group. And it's very easy. I've seen the church ostracize and criticize and ridicule. And we have no idea what is happening mentally or emotionally or spiritually with these precious people that Jesus died for. A sinner is a sinner. Talk to me, somebody. And they need the gospel. But I digress for a moment. I want to talk about cross-dressing. And over the years, you know, and rightfully so, cross-dressing is placed in a negative or a derogatory light because it speaks to the shade of perversion and it, it hints at sexual confusion. To, to, how many understand what I'm saying? If you're, if you're a man, if you're a boy, you should dress like a boy. Come on, somebody. Hey, man, if you're a girl, you, you know, hello, right? And what this is, beloved, and, and listen, I'm coming from an intellectual perspective. I am not trying to jar or gas up your emotions. I'm giving you as a, a simple, uh, 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 just logical uh, explanation tonight when I use these words. To be per, uh, perverse tonight is to simply be one who misses the mark. This is what the word sin, that's where it comes from. To sin, it means to miss the mark. You could be aiming at something. It's like, it's like maybe you had a gun or a, or a bow and arrow, and you pull back on the string and you let go, and you're supposed to go this way, but the arrow kind of ventures off to the right or, or to the left. It has missed the mark. It has perverted its trajectory. We use that the, the, these terminology and, you know, oh, you're a pervert, oh, you're a perv, you're this, you're that. And, and while that's true, there's anger or there's resentment or, you know, behind those words. Uh, but the reality is that perversion simply means to miss the mark. Why am I speaking about this? I wanted to uh, speak about the changing uh, of clothing uh, and the roots of its intention. There's an old saying that goes on in America, you are what you eat. Well, I'm here to tell you tonight, you are what you wear. There's a reason why transvestites exist. Just as much as there's a reason why after salvation, our clothes change. And thank God we're not transvestites, but we have been transformed. What has happened on the inside begins to manifest itself on the outside. Amen. Beloved, from a biblical perspective, clothing speaks of social status, it speaks of financial status, and it can also speak of disposition in life. The book of Exodus, chapter 28, goes into detail about priestly garments. Ergo, you can identify the priest based on what he has on. You can see him a mile away. Oh, that's a Pharisee. Oh, that's a priest. That's a Levite. And why? It has nothing to do with what came out of their mouth. It had everything to do with what they had on. Genesis 38 speaks of the garments of a harlot. 
a harlot normally, uh, they are scantily clad. Uh, they would cover their face. Many would even shave their head. Uh, and you knew who they were. Mark chapter 10, verse 50 and 51. And so throwing aside his garment, uh, he rose and came to Jesus. This is speaking of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is a blind beggar and his clothing told the community who and what he was, which is why when he went to get healed, the Bible goes out of its way to say that he took off that garment. I am no longer blind. Come on, somebody. And I no longer will beg. And so I'm not going to dress like I'm begging and blind. Hello. Jesus answered and said, what do you want me to do? He said, Rabboni or teacher, uh, that I may receive my sight. Luke chapter 16, verse 19, the Bible says there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. This is very interesting, beloved, because only royalty wore purple, gold, or crimson. But this brother has money, and so he can dress like a king. He has that type of money, and the Bible explains to us um, what he has on. So the blind have a garment. The rich have garments. Uh, lepers uh, have garments. Uh, soldiers have garments. Uh, clothing is very specific, uh, and it is spiritual. Why? Because it speaks to the identification, uh, and identity speaks to inclusion or exclusion. Isaiah 61, verse 3, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, an oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, uh, the planting of the Lord, that they may be glorified. So this is not only true physically, this is also true spiritually and emotionally. Praise has a garment. Hello, somebody. Faith has a garment. There are clothes for battle in spiritual warfare. Amen. You can read Ephesians chapter 6 on your own time, beginning with uh, around verse 13 to 14, uh, and it talks about a helmet. It talks about a shield. It talks about a belt. Uh, it talks about shoe. What is it? It's talking about clothes. So if this is true, if we are to be identified by what we wear, why don clothing that would represent the world when you no longer belong to the world? Romans chapter 6, verse 2, very, very simply, he says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Amen. Amen. When I got saved, my clothes got saved. Hallelujah. Jesus did the saving, and I stopped the sagging. Talk to me. Hallelujah. I remember a long time ago, we had a wave of young people come through our church, uh, ranging from about 15 to about 22, 23 years old. It was about 30 or 40 kids that came in. It was a really exciting time in the history of this church. This was back in 2011, 2012. Uh, maybe a year after we got here, it was very powerful. And there was a young man, many of you know him. You may know him by his nickname uh, because you would call him Ace. Young man by the name of Adrian Calderon. He came, 
came into the church. Uh, uh, it, I married him and his girlfriend later. Uh, but I remember he came, he, he had these, uh, they call them gauges. There's a lot of spiritual, uh, spiritual significance behind that, but be that as it may, he, he didn't wear it for spiritual purposes, amen. He wasn't even saved at that time. He's a new convert, got saved, uh, praise God. You know, I didn't get up on the stage uh, and, and, and just go into some kind of rant about how evil or wicked that was. I didn't have to do that. You know why? Because this is a spirit-filled church, and the conviction of the Holy Ghost was enough. And so after a couple of services, he comes back and they're gone. I didn't say anything. Nobody said anything. Because there was a revelation, beloved. And as I preach this morning, revelation inspires change. Next thing I know, he's wearing, you know, he's got a little tie on. Amen. They, they didn't have any slack. It, it was the coolest thing. Amen. You see these guys, they would have a, a long sleeve shirt on. They would have a tie. Amen. It, it didn't even match. I didn't care. They had these blue jeans on that they tried to make as, as slack as possible. And everybody had chucks. It, it was glorious. And what, why did they do that? I didn't, hey, hey, next time you come to church, you, you need it. Why? I, I didn't have to say anything. There's something at work. Um, his, his name is the Holy Ghost. Talk to me. He begins to deal with people. Um, what has happened to you on the inside is now beginning to manifest itself on the outside. Because that's what clothing can do. 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 30 and 31. Now, when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard about it. Look at what she did. She put paint on her eyes, adorned her head, and looked through the window. Then, as Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimri, a murderer of your master? Now, we all know who Jezebel is. Amen. Hey, hello, somebody. This was a bloodthirsty queen. Amen. She was more than just a worshiper of Asherah and Baal. Uh, this woman killed folks. She was for real. If you did not worship Asherah and Baal, she would kill you. In fact, um, Obadiah the prophet hid a lot of the priests of God in a cave away from her. And what she tried to do, Jehu, this is after the death of a man of Ahab, Jehu was sent by God to wipe out, uh, amen, uh, the, the, royal, uh, the, the royal lineage of, of Ahab. God said, that's what's going to happen. You're going to die. Your sons are going to die. And God used Jehu to do that. Jehu went to clean house. Uh, Jezebel saw him coming. Uh, and so what she did was she made herself attractive uh, because the plan was to seduce him. They don't dress like that at the mall for that pastor. She dressed seductively to throw Jehu off. Had he fallen, listen to me very carefully. Had he fallen for that, it would have blocked his destiny. He had a destiny with God and she sought to seduce him with what she had on. It's a very powerful thought if you can digest that. Some people dress to hide their true nature, much like this woman did. And some dress to reflect their true nature. Either way, both reveal the real. You ever wonder why certain, certain girls or even women dress so provocatively? 
I know, just stick with me. I know it's going to get tight for a little bit. Amen. Just stick with me. The tight-fitting outfits, the cleavage, the heavy makeup. What are they saying? Their clothing screams, pay attention to me. No one else is. You ever wonder why guys do the same thing? The heavy cologne, the chest hair coming out. Amen. Uh, the, 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 the ponytail, the jewelry, the earring. Why? Pay attention to me. I am somebody. Again, we're talking about, remember, we're doing the Sunday school on rejection. Of where everything is a test of someone's worth and their value. Guys have these, these long, these long beards and the scruffy hair. Some people go for the, the gothic look for intimidation. And if people look scary, you'll stay away from them. And the, the truth is, I want you to be away from me because uh, uh, to come close, there's going to be vulnerability and you're going to know who I really am. And I want to project an image that will intimidate you and keep you away from me. Dominatrix. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, it's a show. It's an act. There is an image we want people to believe about us. And we will spend time, we will spend money, we will spend energy lying to others. And even to God and ultimately to ourselves. Now, this does not suggest that attempting to be presentable or, or nice is an indication of deception. Amen? There's the, uh, you know, just set the record straight right now. There's, there's nothing, listen to me, ladies. There's nothing wrong. Amen. A little dabble, do you? There's nothing wrong. Amen. With some, you know, you'd look nice and, and pray, praise the Lord. Amen. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Hallelujah. There's nothing wrong, brother. You know, you got your little suit, you hooking your suit up, got you. There's nothing wrong with that. But we know in our heart the difference between trying to look nice and going over the top. And, of course, there's culture and there's influence. And these murky waters could take months to sift through. Amen. I'm just preaching one sermon. I just wanted to lay a simple foundation here. Look, look at it with me at Genesis 38, beginning with verse 12. In the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. Judah was comforted, and he went up to sheep shearers at Timnah. He and his friend, uh, Hira, the Agilamite. And it was told uh, by Tamar, saying, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So listen, listen what it says. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself sitting in an open place on the way to Timnah. Basically, what she did was she made herself to look like a prostitute. I encourage you to go overseas, and it'll, it'll open your eyes to, to some of the biblical things that go on. We're in South Africa. We would see this a lot of times. We'd be driving home from service, and it's on these roads out in the middle of nowhere, and you'll see a group of three, four, five women. And you know me, I'm, I'm so dumb. I'm thinking, hey, what y'all got a bus come out here? What's going on? And you know, and Hector, Pastor Hector would just look at me and say, no, I'm not. These, these, ladies, these ladies are harlots. 
So well, why are they out here? So well, the design, and he's explaining to me, the design, you know, they're out on the, just on the side of the road. These guys can just come in the middle of the night on the side of the road, and they can pick them up, and they could just keep going. They're not in the town. Nobody knows what's going on, and this and that. And it brought me back to this scripture. She's sitting on the way to Timnah. She's on the middle of the road. It's the, it's the same design here. She took off her widow's garments. If you know the history of Tamar. Tamar was married to a man who was evil, uh, and God judged him. God killed him, the Bible says, uh, and she was supposed to marry his brother. But when his brother came of age, it was time for him to marry Tamar, but, uh, but uh, Judah was very deceptive, uh, and he did not give his younger son to her. He gave him to somebody else, uh, and so she's just sitting up in the house as a widow. So she can't have children. Uh, there's no posterity. There is no hope. There's no future for her. And so she goes into this deception. I mean, I mean TV can't make this stuff up. She took off her widow's garments, covered herself, Verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot. Of course. Why did he think that? Because of what she had on. She covered her face. He turned to her and said, please, let me have sex with you. He did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And then she begins to bargain with him. And I encourage, you know, on your own time, you can read the rest of the story, how she, how she tricked him. But, but why did she do that? Tamar is not a harlot at all, but she's a rejected woman who was promised an o a husband, but she was overlooked, placed on the back burner, forgotten about. I made this statement earlier, amen, women who give themselves to an adulterous relationship nine times out of ten, the core is neglect. And her deception was an act of bitterness and revenge. Why not just spit on the brother? Why not yell and scream at him for failed promises? Why change her appearance? Clothing and appearance are powerful, beloved. And when it comes to kingdom culture and dynamics, it is no different. For ministers here, there is a standard. Amen. If you're in ministry, uh, men are going to dress. Uh, amen. There's, there's a certain uh, dress. Women uh, are going to wear nice uh, dresses or blouses or well, dress slacks or whatever. Why? Because you are set apart. The design is your outside should reflect your inside. And ministers should pre uh, present a somewhat professional appearance uh, that says, I am here to help you uh, and to serve you. I didn't come here tonight to cut your grass. I didn't come here tonight to help you move. Talk to me, somebody. I came to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I pray that what I have on is a reflection. It shows you that, I, one, I know what I'm talking about, and I am here to be uh, the authority and the servant, uh, amen, that God has called me to be. This is why those that get into ministry, amen, there is a standard. It is a culture. This is what we're going to do. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety, uh, propriety and moderation, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly clothing, uh, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Uh, this has always been a source of debate because there are certain denominations that have staked their lives uh, on the literary uh, extrapolation of this text. 
So you see women without makeup, they got these long dresses, uh, you know, covering their sexy ankles, and on and on. But Paul is giving us a bigger picture. Paul is speaking of modest to modest apparel. Amen. How dare you invoke common sense? Common sense should tell us that this is a relative term. Then he goes um, after culture to establish a baseline. Listen, braided hair, gold pearls, and costly clothing spoke of harlotry, or it spoke of aristocracy, or even authority, which none of them possessed. You are not a harlot. You are not some type of counsel or authoritarian. Hello. You are, you are not an authority at all, so why are you dressing like that? What are you trying to prove? In other words, stop dressing as a person that you are not. He concludes with very careful wording. He said, which is proper for women professing godliness. How do you dress like that? Paul said, you do so with good works. And so let's just keep it real for a moment. There are some ladies and even some young ladies, and I mean young ladies and teenagers, that are a bit more advanced than others. But because they have a modest spirit and because they love God and serve people, then what they have on is not a threat. Are you with me so far? Then you have other folks, they know that they have more curves than 59. And their design is to catch your man. It's a spirit. Hello, somebody. It's a spirit of sensuality. And you can spot that, amen. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, say, mm, something's not right. They can have the same thing on. But one is professing godliness with good works. And the other one's trying to get a man. And then obviously there's the over, over the top. I mean, you know, I mean, dear God. If you ain't for sale, quit advertising. How many understand what I'm saying? Hello, somebody. Can, can we just keep it real? Amen. Okay, we all know you top heavy. We all know it. Okay? Praise the Lord. Put something on. Amen. Look like two midgets fighting. You need to cut that out. You need to cut that out, dear. That's not right. We know you do a thousand push-ups a day, brother. We know you do. Amen. Praise the Lord. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Huh? You wear a large, well, take that, take that medium and that extra small off. We, we, we know. We know what time it is. Hello, somebody? Hey, do you know what time it is? Sure, I know exactly. Yeah, come on, man. Come on. Soap and, soap and water is powerful. You don't need to, I don't need to be smelling you from the parking lot. With that cologne you borrowed from your daddy. Come on now. So why do people do that? See, your inner beauty should speak louder than your outer garments. 
I really appreciate this as we wrap this up tonight. Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. They brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. Listen, beloved, there was an expectation. They weren't just going to bring him out of the dungeon like that. Because divine expectation releases blessing and destiny. The Bible says that Pharaoh sent for him. He requested to fetch him. And so in this story, Pharaoh is a type of God. It's like God is calling us, amen, out of the darkness into his marvelous light. That's what 1 Peter 2.9 is all about. I've called you out of darkness. I've called you out of the dungeon. Uh, people gave their testimony. This is what I used to be, hallelujah, and Jesus set me free, amen. He called, he fetched you. He called you, amen. And so this is the picture here. And yet, in that picture, there is still an expectation. Yes, uh, when you come into my throne room, this is what I want you to look like. You know, as beautiful as it sounds, we must understand that Pharaoh, just like the Lord, has expectations. Uh, and he expects us to present ourselves uh, in a certain way when we come to him. You know, one of the destructive terminologies in the church, in the church world, is this terminology. Come as you are. Why is that destructive? While the intention of this moniker is to say the Lord will take you as you are and change you, thank God. Amen. How many know that's true? The Lord will take us as we are. But he never intended for us to stay that way. And we err here. Many don't expect the challenge of holiness or righteousness. In other words, I'm coming as I am and I'm going to remain that way. This cannot work, beloved. And it's rather interesting that Pharaoh expects Joseph to shave, to bathe, and put on new garments. Listen, uh, you trying to date that, brother, that should be your expectation. Hello, somebody. Listen, man, you can't be coming up in here and you, you smell like all day. You know, the girl be like, ooh, Lord Jesus, <laughs> help me. Pastor, she won't talk to me. I, I'm having trouble. Amen. You've been brought out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Amen. There's a light in the bathroom and turn that water on and just stand in there and soap it up. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody talk to me now. Amen. You can't be coming in here kicking like that. And people do this spiritually. You came in as a mess and well, well everybody just got to put up with my mess. No, we don't. Jesus died on the cross to change you from that mess to be blessed. You don't have to stay the same way that you are. Amen. And don't use that as an excuse or cop out. Well, you know, I'm just always immature. Well, you need to grow up. Well, I just tell it like it is. Well, you need some self-control. That's one of the fruits of the spirit. Gifts are given. Fruit is grown. And Pharaoh has an expectation. Matthew chapter 22, verse 8 through 14. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways uh, as many as you can find and invite them to the wedding. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing for a moment. We know that they had a great feast. Uh, this is uh, speaking of eternity. Uh, and, and he goes and first he goes to people uh, that he has called. Uh, and, and what Jesus is saying is he he's going to the Jew. Uh, uh, but the Jew begins 
excuse me, begins to make excuses. Uh, I've chosen you, my people, a royal priesthood, all these promises. But he goes to them. They reject him. And he makes it, it makes the father upset. He says, OK, well, then just go get everybody else. And so now Gentiles are coming, uh, if you will, uh, follow, follow the, the, the parallel here. And so he's, he's, he's bringing in the Greek. Uh, he's bringing in the Syrophoenician. Uh, he's bringing in the Macedonian. He's bringing in all these people. And, and, the, and the hall is filled up. But here's the kicker right here. Even though these people uh, have been invited, he still expects them to wear a wedding garment. Because the banquet hall is a symbol of heaven. I'm going to heaven. Jesus died on the cross. Listen, I'm not going to heaven because I'm a good person. I'm not going to heaven because I go to church. I'm not going to heaven because I have a suit on. There's a wedding garment for me, beloved. It's called the blood of Jesus. And I better have it on when I step into the throne room. This is what he's saying. Verse 11 of Matthew 22, but when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said, friend, how did you come in here without a, in other words, he said, how dare you come in here and you are not properly dressed? There's something spiritual happening here. Whenever someone makes the decision to remove the garment physically or spiritually, this man refused to wear it, and he got dealt with. The Bible says, Take, throw him, get him out of here. And then he says these powerful words in verse 14, Matthew 22, for many are called, but few are chosen. Think with me for a moment. Many are called, but few are chosen. And the difference is one had the garment and one did not. Says nothing about ability. Listen to me. Says nothing about anointing. I mean, think, think with me for a moment. Joseph can interpret dreams. How many know that? We've preached enough on Joseph. He's, he's interpreting a dream. The interpretation that he has is not only going to save Egypt, but it's going to save Goshen. It's going to save two nations, one interpreter. That's powerful to me. So obviously the blessing of God is upon Joseph's life. How many with me so far? So there's anointing, there's calling. God has given him a supernatural gift to interpret dreams for nations. That's pretty impressive. But the brother wouldn't have said one word if he did not shave or change his clothes. Two nations would have been robbed because the expectation of the Lord was not met. Wow. See, I know people like that. You've got gifts. You've got abilities. You've got anointing. But when it comes to listening to authority, when it comes to listening to God and dealing with standards, you rebel. And all the blessing and all the gifts that you have will never know. It's amazing to me how people who remove themselves or are removed from ministry immediately drop the standards. Because it's a heart issue, beloved. I've been around a long time, amen. I know what I'm talking about. Get out of ministry, the first thing, they got a, they got a TV so big, it's bigger than the sign. 
because they don't tithe no more. So now they got the money. Amen. Can we keep it, we keep it real? Come on, somebody. Amen. Every day is a Saturday to them. On Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. No, 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 Pastor, it's Saturday. Joseph has something to say. He had the interpretation. Arguably the wisest. Even Pharaoh said, there's no one wiser than you. Never would have happened. Never would have seen it. Do you imagine? He's in solitary confinement. Joseph, the Pharaoh has called for you. <laughs> well, it's about time. Recognize my talent. Get out the way. I'm going to go. I'm going to go see the Pharaoh. Going to go see the women. No, no, Pharaoh's that way. Why are you taking me to the showers? Well, brother, before you go to the Pharaoh, before you enter the throne room, before you enter your destiny. <laughs> You got to get rid of that ZZ top. Hello, somebody. I was tempted to wear some shorts under, underneath there and, and sag these. You wouldn't have heard a word I said. You'd have been like this. What's wrong with pastor? Why would you think that? Because what people wear is spiritual. It's a check on our pride, beloved. How can we have all this wisdom and lack the humility to present ourselves? See, the blessing of God and the future provided by God demands a presentation. It's a position of honor and humility. Think with me for a moment. This man went from the dungeon to prime minister, the second most powerful man in Egypt. And at that time, Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world. But he had to shave. He had to change his clothes. I forgot this. I forgot to add this scripture, but I, re I remember it very, very well. And it's in Genesis. Uh, I want to say chapter 35. Amen. It's Jacob's return to Bethel. Amen. You could turn there with me if you want. I'll close with this. Then God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel, Bethel, the house of God, <clears throat> and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Look at what he says in verse 2. And Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, put away your foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your clothes. God deals with him. I need you to go back to church. Bethel, the house of God. How many with me so far? And so it says, okay, well, if we're going to go back to church, um, we've got to put our idols away because there was idols. There's idolatry in our heart that kept us from church. So we got to get rid of that. Then we need to purify ourselves. We need to get right. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, we, you need, girl, you need to take that off. You need to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You, you need to take them red light district clothes. You need, you need to deal with that. Hello, somebody. You need, you need to cut all that out. I want to minister before the Lord. Not with them jeans on. You look like you jumped into a pool of piranhas and they just attacked your knees or something. I can cut your pants for free. Hello, somebody. 
Joseph has power and dominion from a criminal to prime minister, but he had to meet the expectation of Pharaoh. What a life of power. What a life of dominion and destiny found in Joseph. You can read it at the end of his life. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He sent me ahead of you to save many. Listen, he, saved, he rescued two nations. He rescued two nations because God changed his heart. And when God changed and God called him and God used him, amen, what was happening on the inside manifested on the outside. Amen. When I was in the street hustling, trust me, I wasn't dressed like this. When I was in the club messing with other people's daughters, I wasn't dressed like this. When I was getting drunk and getting high, I wasn't dressed like this. But when I got saved, nobody told me they didn't have to. Jacob prays over his sons at the end of his life. And when Jacob begins to pray about Joseph, he said something very powerful. He said, Joseph is a fruitful bough. His branches run over the wall. He said, Joseph is just so fruitful. If you read Joseph's life in the Old Testament, the Bible says everything he gave himself to, the Lord caused to prosper. That's incredible to me. That's powerful. Can you imagine everywhere you go, God just, just gives you favor? You know, you know, our brother testified tonight. He said, I, I wasn't even asking for it. You don't have to because God is with you. But if we refuse to humble ourselves and we refuse to let God change us, then there is no favor. We have an opportunity tonight. Can you say amen? We can have power and dominion, but God has expectations. Are we humble enough to meet them? Let's bow our heads tonight. Hallelujah. There are people here tonight, perhaps you're not saved. You don't have a relationship.